It is graduation Sunday, and so it's going to be a little bit different of a setup. Instead of having a prayer before the service, at the end of the service, what we're going to do is we're going to have our graduates come down to the front, and then Daryl Painter, one of our elders and one of their youth leaders, is going to come pray over them at the end of their service. So I will pray shortly, then uh, seniors, if you would come up, and then uh, we'll pray for you. And at the end of the service, there are gifts for you in the foyer as well, so connect with me in the foyer after the service. If you would turn in your Bible to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and it's actually the final letter that Paul wrote. It's a personal letter to a young man named Timothy as he's encouraging him to to make it to the end. Look out for these things that are going to, to prevent you from making... Watch out for these dangers. Watch out for these snares. I want you to endure faithfully to the end. And so he's written him this letter full of advice and warnings and fatherly affection for Timothy. And so in 2 Timothy, we're going to look in chapter 2. We're going to focus on just one part of this letter. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 13. Paul writes, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many, many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's pray as we consider this word. Heavenly Father, may your word ring true in our hearts this morning. May your Holy Spirit work in my words, in our ears, as we seek to understand and apply your word to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul starts this section by encouraging his beloved son to be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. To be strengthened. What Paul is going to call Timothy towards, or for this morning, is a difficult task. You don't need strength for an easy task. If someone would say, pick up this piece of paper, I don't need a lot of strength to do that. But if it were this pulpit or something heavier, we would need a larger amount of strength. The task that Paul is calling Timothy towards is difficult. And so he encourages him to have strength or to be strengthened. What is this difficult task that he is calling him towards? I think for that we have to look... Uh, earlier in 2 Timothy to the first chapter, verse verse 14, where Paul says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, 
guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This is the difficult task that Timothy has before him. It is to guard the good deposit. Ultimately, what Paul is saying is, Timothy, you need to be strong because you have to make it to the end. My desire is that you would endure to the end of your life, that you would love Jesus, that you have a relationship with Jesus. Guard the good deposit. Guard the gospel in your heart. Guard it in your life. Guard it, Timothy. When uh, my dad married my mom, he gifted my uncle a set of Blue Angel models little airplane models, six models that were painted perfectly blue and yellow. If you're a Michigan fan, you'll enjoy that. Um, But they were just, it was a deposit of coolness into my uncle's life. We'll call it a deposit of coolness. And um, the first thing that my uncle did was to take a can of black spray paint and over all six of them, over the windows, the blue, the yellow, the decals, all the details that my dad put into them. Certainly the model was still there, but the deposit was damaged, wasn't it? And this is what Paul is calling Timothy towards. Timothy, guard the gospel deposit. Don't let alterations be made. Don't add to the gospel. Don't take away from the gospel. Guard the gospel in your heart. Guard the good news about how Jesus lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, was buried, and on the third day he rose again. Guard this message, Timothy. And to do that, Timothy, you need to be strengthened. But note that this isn't Timothy's strength here. Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's not, Timothy, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You've got this. You've been working out. You're a tough person. You're a a powerful person. Note this, Timothy, be strengthened by. This is something passively happening to Timothy. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What is it that Timothy is strengthened by? What is it that we're strengthened by? as we seek to make it to the end. It's the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, as you face trials, as you face all these difficult things, be strengthened by the grace. Be strengthened by the fact that in Christ Jesus, you are totally and absolutely accepted. Timothy, be strengthened by the fact that God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. Timothy, be strengthened by the fact that in Christ, you have a hope and a future in heaven. Be strengthened, Timmy. Timothy. He continues, the first blank in the notes is be strengthened. The second one is this. Paul continues in verse 2, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Blank 2 is entrust to or commit to the faithful. Timothy's, Paul's looking at Timothy and saying, Timothy, you want to guard this gospel deposit, you can't do this on your own. If you had a great treasure, How many guards would you put at that door? One? Two? As many as you can find for the greatest treasure? And Paul's looking at Timothy and says, you've got this great treasure. You've got this great gospel deposit. Entrust it to other faithful people around you. Now certainly, Timothy was a a pastor, and so he was called to commit it to other pastors and elders in his local body. But this is a teaching for all of us, isn't it? When God gave you the gospel deposit, when you understood the gospel message, he did not intend for you to be able to live your gospel pursuit, live out your gospel guarding on your own. He gave you a body, a local group of people who are also seeking to guard that good deposit. Entrust this gospel to faithful people. And so there's an element where if I'm struggling to guard my gospel deposit, if I'm struggling to guard the gospel in my own life, coming into the body, coming into the, the community of believers, 
is so that they can help me guard my gospel deposit. But don't think it's just for you because you also have an obligation as you're guarding your gospel deposit to go into the gathering of saints and help other people guard their gospel deposit. So we're daily, we're working in each other's lives to help one another guard this gospel deposit. Be strengthened, Timothy, to guard the gospel. Commit or entrust this gospel to the faithful people who will help you guard it. Three, share the gospel. Paul continues in verse 2, who will be able to teach others also. There is a supernatural element of the guarding of the gospel where it calls us to share it. And as we share the gospel deposit, it is most guarded. This is not like a bad game of telephone where when we spread it, it gets worse and worse and worse. No, when we share the gospel faithfully, it is guarded. So as I am teaching and preaching the gospel to someone, that they, are, they may reproduce that gospel guarding. And while I am teaching the gospel, I am also refreshing myself in those same gospel truths. You want to guard the gospel deposit, Timothy. You want to guard the gospel in your life. You want to make it to the end. This is what you've got to go through. You've got to be strong in the grace. Commit it to faithful people. Share the gospel. Share it with one another. Share it so that your heart is refreshed by those gospel truths. And the fourth blank is this. Share in the suffering. Verse 3, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul understood suffering. If we've read through our New Testaments, we're, we're pretty clear on that. Paul suffered in, in significant ways. He's been beaten. He's been stoned, shipwrecked, suffered in, in numerous ways. And even in this passage, if we look down at verse 9, we'll see that he is uh, suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. In this moment that Paul is writing this letter, he is imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. So Paul's looking at Timothy and saying, Timothy, you want to make it to the end of your life still loving Jesus? Timothy, you want to make it to the end? You're going to have to share in the suffering, like me. Share in my suffering. And he then gives us three metaphors, or three pictures, of what this suffering is going to look like in the life of the believer. Three pictures of suffering. First, we are called to suffer like a good soldier. Paul's first metaphor is that of a soldier, but it's a, a good one. When we hear this, it should invoke the, the greatest stereotypes that we have of a soldier. They're com- committed, they're dependable, they're loyal, sacrificing for the sake of others. And we love to hear the stories of honor and heroism. We love to hear about Medal of Honor winners, what they went through, what they sacrificed in order to complete the task at hand. Paul's looking at Timothy and says, you're going to suffer like a good soldier. Your, your commitment, your call to guard the gospel is going to require you suffer in this way. Like the good soldier, those who seek to defend the gospel must also suffer. Their commitment for the defense of the gospel must outweigh their commitment to their own personal safety. Their commitment to the defense of the gospel must outweigh their own personal comfort. There is a suffering in that, is there not? And it doesn't just face you. You don't just suffer in this way when you have to go out or when you get to go out and share the gospel with others. I'm going to be honest with you, graduates. It's hard to follow Jesus in college. It's hard to follow Jesus in your 20s. It's hard to follow Jesus 
as a single person. It's hard to follow Jesus as a married person. It's hard to follow Jesus in your late 20s, early 30s, and I'm assuming, Chad, past that, it's hard to follow Jesus. It's hard to follow Jesus because often, day after day, we have to say no to things. We have to say no to ourselves. We have to say no to personal comfort in order that we might complete the task at hand, which is to guard the gospel deposit, to to be strengthened by the grace, to commit it to other people, and to sharing this gospel deposit. This is what it is to follow Jesus. It is to suffer like a good soldier. And Paul expands on that uh, in Verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. A soldier does not get distracted by outside pursuits. The encouragement here is that if we were to guard the gospel, that that goal needs to surpass all the other sort of pursuits that we might have in this life, whether good or not. There's a lot of good things that we face in our life that might distract us, that might, we might, Paul might consider civilian pursuits. It's really good to go get a great education and to be really successful. But if that's your ultimate pursuit, it's preventing you from a greater pursuit. It's a civilian task, Paul would say. If, you're, if your greatest pursuit is to find a relationship and have kids and have a family, that's great, but that can't be your ultimate pursuit. If you are going to guard the gospel deposit, you can't let those civilian things, those extra things, become the ultimate thing. And the ultimate thing is to guard the gospel. To be strengthened by the grace. To commit it to the faithful. To share the gospel and to share in the suffering. So to guard the gospel deposit, we must suffer like a soldier. We also must suffer like a athlete. An athlete has to suffer as well. Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. In the ancient Olympics, uh, one commentator writes that they were required to uh, complete 10 months of rigorous training. And at the end of that 10 months, they would make an oath stating, I had completed the 10 months of rigorous training. And if they did that, those were the rules that allowed them to compete and eventually, potentially win their event. Those were the rules. The athlete suffers in great ways, doesn't they? They make sacrifices, they give things up, they don't get distracted by other things, they, they are willing to give things up because they want something more than the other things. I looked up the, um, the, the training schedule of a, uh, an Olympic marathoner. This is what they do. On a weekly basis, they wake up at 5.45, they train twice a day, six days a week, aim to get, on the low side, 125 miles run a week. They don't eat whatever they want, and they go to bed quite early, is what I noticed. If I were to come up to this athlete and say, do you wish you had gone to McDonald's more in your 20s? Do you think they'd say yes? Do you wish you had stayed up more and played more video games in your early 30s? No, those things they were happy to give up. Why? Because their ultimate pursuit was not to eat McDonald's. It was to be an elite Olympic athlete. All the extra stuff was, went by the wayside, and it gladly went by the wayside in order that they might receive the prize. I'm reminded of, um, I don't know if you've been to a t-ball practice lately. I've been to a couple of those recently. Let me describe it for you. 
Um, there's two coaches. There's one coach trying to teach the kid to swing the, the bat to hit the ball off the tee. There's another coach trying to explain to the other seven kids where they're supposed to go when the ball is hit. In the background, one kid's using a bat as a lightsaber, and the other six kids in the field are bearing second base with the dirt. It's an amazing thing. It's the most chaos I've ever ex- seen in a, a moment. The point is, all the kids have lost the point of the game, right? They didn't know to begin with, but they, they certainly had lost it along the way. They weren't paying attention to where the ball was. They weren't paying attention to what happened. They, don't, they still don't know where to run when things happen. My friends, don't be like those kids at the t-ball practice. Put away those pursuits. Put away those things. They're they're just distracting you from the task that's at hand, the task that's going to get you to the end, the task that's going to give you the ability to endure, the task that will save you. To guard the gospel deposit, you must suffer like the athlete. The third picture is that of a hardworking farmer, verse 6. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The farmer suffers like the, the athlete and the soldier. Um, but there are no shortcuts for the farmer. And if farming is hard work now, which I'm guessing it is, uh, it probably was more so when Paul wrote this. But unlike the soldier and the athlete, nothing the farmer do does or will do will ever be written in a history book. No one will ever notice except for his family. It's the diligent day by day waking up, Going to work, suffering in the hot sun, going home, going to sleep, getting up, going to work, suffering. It's day after day. To guard the gospel, it is a patient day after day, diligent effort. And the reason why we do it is because we want to see the fruit. We understand that if we don't put in the work, there is no fruit at the end. To guard the gospel, you must suffer like a soldier, like an athlete, and like a hard-working farmer. And so at this point, I wonder what this sounds to you. As I look at you graduates, I wonder what this sounds like to you. I'm confident that many of you agree with this whole Jesus thing. You believe that the Bible happened. You believe that Jesus existed. You even believe what Jesus says about these things. And you hear these calls to defend the gospel, to share it, to commit it to other people, and to suffer for it. And I wonder if you question, is it really worth it to follow Jesus? Is it really worth it to suffer through this? Is it really worth it to say no to myself when I want to, don't want to? And I want to let you know that what you are doing, that thought process, is utterly biblical. It's utterly biblical. This is what Jesus taught in Luke 14, and he's talking about suffering uh, in Luke fourteen twenty eight through 33, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down and first deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while well, the other is... Yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In this passage, Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, to follow after me, to guard this gospel, to to live in my 
fellowship or to live with me is to suffer. And so you have to consider whether or not it is actually worth it to suffer. Is it really worth it to suffer through your college years for the sake of the gospel? Is it really worth it to give those things up? And you have to think about this. This is, this is what Jesus says. If you're going to follow after me, you better consider the amount of suffering that you're going to face. You better consider the things you're going to look out on, miss out on. And so Paul, I think, rightly says in verse 7, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And then he turns his, his, his attention to, I think, maybe the most important part here. Is it worth it? Timothy, is it worth it? And then Paul says, remember Jesus Christ? Do you remember the hero, Timothy? Do you remember Jesus Christ? Do you remember the stories about his birth? Do you remember the stories of his childhood? Do you remember how he turned the water to wine? Do you remember how he calmed the storm? Do you remember how he raised Lazarus from the dead? Do you remember his teaching, Timothy? Do you remember him? Do you remember that Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead? Timothy, do you remember his resurrection? Do you remember how he was betrayed by Judas? Do you remember how he was uh, beaten and scorned and nailed to a cross? Do you remember him hanging on the cross, Timothy? Do you remember him being put in the tomb? Timothy, do you remember that he rose from the dead? See, it's the resurrection from the dead that matters everything. It matters all the way. It's his resurrection. Timothy, do you remember that because he rose from the dead, that if you follow in him, if you are with him, if you have joined with him, that you too will have resurrection from the dead? Timothy, do you remember that because his resurrection from the dead, that you can live through this life and endure the suffering, that you can go through the pain, because you know that at the end of this, there is still a hope for you in heaven? Do you remember the resurrection, Timothy? Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David? Timothy, do you remember that he is the promised Messiah? Timothy, do you remember that he is the one that was promised to Adam and Eve in the garden who had crushed the head of the serpent? Do you remember, Timothy, he was the one promised to Abraham through whom all the nations are going to be blessed? Timothy, do you remember he was the one promised to David who would sit on the throne forever and make and rule in peace and equity? Do you remember that he's the Messiah? The one who's made it all right. It's the one that I preached in my gospel, Timothy. It's the one I'm suffering for, Timothy, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God, the gospel, is not bound. You're going to suffer. You may be imprisoned. You may lose out on things. But the gospel is not imprisoned. The gospel will not be stopped. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And then Paul completes or concludes his uh, teaching here with four lines. They look to be um, lines from an old hymn that they, was common. And so this saying is trustworthy. I'm going to read all four and then we'll talk about them. This saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. If we died with him, we will also live with him. This is not a statement on martyrdom, but this is a statement on conversion. This is much the same language that Paul uses in Romans 6 when he's talking about baptism. 
thing is, if we have died with him, if we have united with Christ, if we have died our death to our sinful selves, we have been raised with Christ. As Paul says in Colossians, we've been raised with Christ on high. But friends, I want to let you know, if you have trusted in him, if you have believed in his finished work for you on the cross, then you are united with him, not just in the future when you die, but you are united with him today. If we died with him, we will also live with him today. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. So when we go through our life, when we are going through our suffering, when we are going through our trials, when we are going through these moments where we have to say no to ourselves and no to outside temptations, we are not doing it alone, but we are doing it with him. For we died with him, we will also live with him. Quote a pastor, all death, and at the end, when we do die, we will live with him forever. And so to quote a, a pastor, all death can now do to Christians is make their lives infinitely better. We get them now, but we also get them in the future too. Line two is this, if we endure with him, we will also reign with him. This is it, the focus here is on perseverance. If we endure with him, if our union with Christ uh, if, if we endure with him in our union with him, we will endure the trials. We will also reign with him. This isn't designed to, to give us fear, right? If you don't endure with him, you're not going to get to reign with him. No, this is saying you will endure with him. If you have been united with Christ, if you have died with him, you will live with him, and you will endure with him. You will endure with him because of the gospel. You endure with him because of the, his grace for you. You endure with him because of his love for you. And you will reign with him in the new heaven and the new earth. I think of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount where he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. If you endure with him, you will reign with him forever. And comes Paul's sobering warning here, if we deny him, he will also deny us. This is a line focusing on apostasy or walking away from this. This is to reject Jesus. To reject who he is and reject what he has done for us. Paul has to include this, and many commentators think this might be the reason why this hymn is in here. Because Timothy is facing false teaching all around him. He's facing a culture that is utterly opposed to Christianity. Nothing like today, right? saying if we deny him, if we walk away from this gospel, if we walk away from the finished work of Jesus Christ, he will deny us. If you reject Jesus, don't expect to get to heaven. If you reject the gospel as being enough, don't expect to, to reign with him. So take care. To, to engage in a rejection of Jesus in any level, to add or take away from the gospel, is to deny him. Do not join with such people, for it has such dangerous, catastrophic consequences, doesn't it? The fourth line, I think, is surprising. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In a surprising twist, while denial results in condemnation, our faithlessness is not met with such judgment, is it? Our faithlessness, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. But isn't this so often the case in our life? How many times this past week have we operated in faithlessness? How many times did we not trust God or his plan for us? How many times did we go outside what he's asked us to do? How many times did we worry about what we did have or we didn't have? 
How often do we question God, why God would do something this way and not that way? You see, God does not meet our faithlessness with anger and judgment, but with his grace. See, we're not saved by our great faith. Uh, Tim Keller had this great example. If you were falling off a cliff, would you rather have a, a lot of faith in a very weak branch or a very weak faith in a very strong branch? The answer is a very weak faith in a strong branch. We are not saved by the strength or the consistency of our faith, but we are saved by the object of our faith. Graduates, as you grow out of youth group and go into college and into young adulthood and to slightly older adulthood and then Chad's age and beyond, you will face things that will cause you to question. You will make faithless decisions. But know this, if you died with him, endured with him, did not deny him, he cannot and will not deny you. For you were raised with Christ, you are hidden with him. In Romans, Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have died with Christ, you are with him forever because you've been united with him. And so when God looks at you in your faithlessness, he does not see the faithlessness of Dan. He sees the faithfulness of Christ in me. I've been united to Christ. Praise God. And so I wondered a lot, why does Paul finish with this? It feels disjointed to me. Why is this the last teaching Paul gives to Timothy before he dies? What connects it all? And I think if we read it backwards, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? The end of this passage focuses on the love that Jesus has for us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Because we have been so accepted by God, because we've been so loved by him, because he suffered and died for us, we can then go through all of this. We can endure the suffering. We can suffer like an athlete. We can suffer like a farmer. We can suffer like a good soldier. We can share the gospel. We can commit it to other people. We can get strengthened by the grace. And we can guard the good gospel deposit, not because we're so good, but because he was so good and he loved us. See, the central basis of Christian assurance is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakably his heart is set on us. God's love for us was worth his death. It was worth his suffering. It was worth his being rejected. It was worth the overwhelming stress, trials, and separation that he went through that we will never fully comprehend or understand. But my friends, it is the love of Jesus that produces in us something new, that when we are united in Christ, we are gifted a new heart with new desires, with new passions, with new hopes, and a desire to guard this gospel deposit. Don't start with, you've got to guard the gospel, and if you don't, then God doesn't love you. No, you start with the love of Jesus. God loves you so much, and it's the love of Jesus that produces a life that loves Jesus. And a life that loves Jesus is going to do with the gospel, to guard the gospel in the ways that Jesus has called us to guard the gospel deposit. So Paul is looking at Timothy, and I'm looking at you graduates, and not just you graduates, but I'm looking at my church family and saying, guard this gospel deposit. But know that you are absolutely, if you have been united with Christ in his death, if you have endured with him, if you have not denied him, he will not turn you away. He is with you, and he will be with you to the end. Even if you're faithless, he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. 
this point, I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, I'm going to have the graduates and, and Daryl come up, and we're going to pray for you guys as a church. Heavenly Father, may we comprehend the amazing love that Jesus has for us. The amazing love demonstrated through his life, his death, his resurrection. May we guard the deposit, not because we have to, but because we get to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if I could have my graduates come. You can just stand in the front and, and face that way. You all sat towards the front. That's super helpful. And Daryl will come up and pray for you guys as you uh, transition in this time. The future looks bright, huh? As we go to prayer for these guys, remember that there are some other graduates who couldn't be here. And we certainly will be praying for them as well. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that each one of these graduates would believe that you are who you say that you are. Lord, we pray that they would walk in wisdom, a wisdom even beyond their years. Lord, we pray that you would give them discernment in all things. Equip them with all that they need for every purpose that you have for their lives and direct their paths that they would boldly go wherever you lead. Help them, Lord, to be salt and light to a dark world that desperately needs the truth. We pray that they would have a vision and a heart for the nations. We pray that they would walk in integrity and honesty, that they would be more concerned with their character than man's opinion. Lord, give them a deep awareness of sin and keep them from evil, that they would be quick to say no to what is wrong and yes to what is right. Guard them against harmful influences and give them godly friends and relationships. People who will challenge them to draw closer to Jesus. Lord, give them a heart to love and obey God's word. Give them a sense of overwhelming gratitude in their hearts and that they would demonstrate generosity and compassion to all who they come in contact with. We pray that they would define success and accomplishment differently than our culture, that they will have a biblical worldview and an eternal perspective. Lord, protect them against fear and anxiety. Keep their hearts and minds in your perfect peace. We pray that they would use every gift that you have blessed them with to bring you glory, knowing that you have designed each one of them in your image to do good works which you have planned and prepared in advance for them to do, and give them endurance to guard the good deposit and to run the race well. Lord, we watch with great anticipation to what you're going to do in their lives and through their lives, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.